and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here with episode 381 and part one of my conversation with the visiting professor of music theory at Grand Valley State University in Michigan, composer, educator, percussionist, and toy piano expert, Olivia Kiefer. We'll check back in with her shortly. But first up, some Pete Zambito log rolling. Two items to report. Number one, I just got back from last week's Missouri Music Educators Association conference and workshop, in which there was fun had by all. I, uh, I actually can't prove that, but it sounds good. I was excited for it because it was my first opportunity to get to present at a music educators specific conference and to present my work on using and creating podcasts to improve your teaching. I've gotten chances to present this at various percussion studios, along with at the Percussive Arts Society International Convention and the National Conference on Percussion Pedagogy, though both of those presentations were online. But I was thrilled to finally get to do this with a larger crowd in person at a general music session. It seemed to go well, people enjoyed it, and I'm ready to do it again and make it even better. Let me know if you'd like me to present for your group, I'd be happy to do so. And number two, this coming weekend, I'm finally, at long last, getting the chance to premiere my duo piece for marimba and horn this Sunday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. I was originally supposed to premiere this piece on my own recital this past September, but due to illness, we had to cancel the premiere a couple of days before the actual recital. But this week, my colleague Amanda Collins, for whom I've written the piece, she and I will be performing it on her annual faculty recital, where she'll be performing this work, along with a wide range of other horn works that will include many of the great faculty here at Mizzou. It will be live-streamed, and I'll be happy to provide a link to that on the Facebook page for the show. Stay tuned. And with that, let's get to our conversation with Olivia Kiefer. I had been aware of Olivia for a while through both her compositions and her work on the PAS Diversity Alliance. We had originally planned to talk this summer, but because she ended up fortunately getting her current position at Grand Valley State, we decided to hold off on the interview until she had had some time to get used to her new surroundings. So that's what we did, and here we are. Olivia has been active in many parts of the music field for quite some time. Her early training, including through one of her master's degrees, is in the field of percussion, and she then pivoted to focus her time on composing, including getting her doctorate in composition. She's had a wide range of performing and teaching experiences, particularly with a large age range of students, and has continued to build her career as such. Because there is so much to cover in Olivia's career, we've gone ahead and made this a two-parter. So, this week on part one, we'll get to Olivia's job at GVSU, her work on the PIS Diversity Alliance, which included moderating a session at this past year's PASIC, for which we interviewed Reynalis Herrera about it last year, growing up in Wisconsin and her time at the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music. Next week on part two, we'll get to the rest. So here we go. We recorded this interview over Zoom on January 5th, 2024, and it begins right now. (laughs) 
So, Olivia, give me a summation of your percussion and job and excuse me, percussion and job responsibilities as they are at this point. Oh, wow. Um, okay, so at GVSU, I just started here in the fall, and I don't do anything with percussion at all. I am f- friends and friendly with Greg Secor, who's the percussion um, instructor here, and he we both went to CCM, actually, okay. but he was there like before my time. But um, when we visited for the first time, I've got an old percussion group Cincinnati poster, like a, you know, from, from when he was there. So it's Al Adi, James Cully, and, and Benjamin Toth, or maybe uh, Billy Uhas was there, but... Anyway, um, so he's he's wonderful, and he um, he lets me practice, which is great. Awesome, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't have any of my instruments here yet, really, besides all my toy pianos and like a snare drum and stuff. So, but yeah, so I teach all the ear training courses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Percussion is teaching ear training, you know. But yeah, there's yeah. a lot of rhythm in there. But you know, I've had to get better at singing. You know, expand expand my range a little bit. Um, because it's not that great. And that's what I tell the students. I was like, listen, you cannot sound worse than me, so it's fine. You know, it's not about sounding good. It's about you got to, you know, just get in those pitches, you know, if you can. So, um, and then I also teach um, another class depending on the semester. So last semester I taught orchestration. And then this semester I am going to be teaching um, form and analysis. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And I loved orchestration. That's really up my alley. Um, so, yeah, that's... I'm I'm having a ball. Yeah, so no percussion at all, which is fine, you know, but yeah. Well, what prompted you to take this position then? So I have four music degrees, which is a little excessive, but the first two are in percussion and the second two are in music composition. So um, I was looking for composition-esque jobs, you know, um, and... My ideal, like in, in, in the future, if I could have a dream sort of college teaching job, it would be a smorgasbord of different things like, you know, percussion and maybe like direct the new music ensemble and like do some composery stuff. Like that would be like the ideal job where I can kind of use all my experience and skills because I do consider myself to be a composer performer. But going back to school at 37, which was like seven years ago when I started, my master's at UW-Milwaukee, I was able to play a lot. Because they needed extra percussionists. But by the time I got to Miami, they don't need anybody to play in their ensembles. Do you know what I mean? And then I only had a semester and a half before COVID hit. So I didn't really get to get my feet out there as far as performing much. So um, I I was able to play at PASIC right before COVID. And then I was, um, and I played a group called Small Ensemble. But all I'm trying to say with all this stuff is that um, I don't play nearly as much as I used to. But I want to, and I really miss it. Um, So... I'm just kind of in this in-between land right now um, where it's much more composition-based, you know, in in music theory and all that than what I've done in the past because I taught percussion for eight years at Reinhardt University. That was an adjunct position, but, you know, that was my life for a long time. Um, So, yeah, it's gone, like, totally percussion-y stuff to, like, almost totally composer-y stuff over the past, you know, a long time. Well, I'm curious in what ways within... Sighting and courses and the informant analysis and the other kind of theory related stuff. How do, do, you, do you use composition in those courses or, or teach it through some of those specific items? Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially in orchestration. Well, that's, that's a, a number of the projects that I had them do were arranging, you know, mm-hmm. actual orchestration. So here's, you know, Scar- their first assignment was like, here's Scarborough Fair arrange it for woodwinds 
you know. But their second to last project, I had them do, um, so there were 18 students exactly in the class. And it also just so happened that six of those students either were like vocal majors or could sing. Yeah. So I split them up to six groups, six trios, one singer, two instrumentalists. Mm-hmm. And so they all, it was like their own little, their own little composer performer ensemble. So each ensemble wrote pieces for each other. And then we had a performance, which we did in the choir room, you know, which was really cool. Um, and that was a wonderful, you know, because a lot of them had never even composed anything before, you know, and I was like, keep it, keep it simple. And we talked about writing for voice and we talked about, and, it's, and there were, some of them were strange combos like violin and trumpet or, you know, I was just trying to get like maybe a high and a low instrument. But I mean, there were like a bunch of people who played stringed instruments, for instance, and no percussionists. So just kind of like, and a few pianists. One of the students in the class actually was unable to play. Um, they're a pianist, so I played the piano parts on that, <laughs> on that pretty last minute. Um, but yeah, I used that, and that was a wonderful project, and most of them really liked it. And I gave them an opportunity to be creative. And the, for the text, I used like a really short Wendell Berry. Um, um, he's an American poet. And yeah. of course, I said, you can't, because I didn't get Wendell Berry's like, permission. So I said, you, this is just for class. You can't you know, use this anywhere else. Um, Anyway, so so that was one thing. And then, so I teach three sections of um, like first year, as it were, ear training, and then one section of second year ear training. And so, and that's all the second year people. So it's a bigger class. And that class, I had some them do some composing things. Like we started out with modes, mm-hmm. modern modes. And so, you know, like here, write a, um, write a little lick, you know, okay, like a melody. Mm-hmm. Here's seven different modes, write a little melody in each one. And then like the next week, the assignment was, um, okay, now you're going to harmonize. I'm using air quotes. You're going to harmonize these melodies, but, you know, do do what you want. You could stay within the mode. You can do whatever. And so giving them an opportunity to um, make choices within a parameter as far as composing. And that went off pretty well. Yeah. And one's going to come up to me and she's like, I hate these composition assignments. And I was like, well, there will only be a few more. <laughs> That's when you say, well, you know what? We have, sometimes we have just performers and we have just composers. So you're in, you're in that vein and that's fine because we need those people too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's good for people. I never had any composition assignments when I was in undergrad, like none, not a single one. Well, one time my teacher, Al Adi, he um, encouraged me to write a snare drum solo. Yeah. Which I found recently, like in an old notebook or something. Yeah. It's very like. Avant-garde isn't the right word, but it's <laughs> you see, I don't know. It's just, it's funny. It's not bad. I mean, maybe I'll maybe I'll record it one day just for fun. But yeah, that was the only you know, it was my percussion teacher who first ever said to me, "Why don't you write something?" Yeah, which is pretty cool. It's a it's a fringe of a fringe, De La Cluz. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's like uh, you know, at one point you turn the snare drum over and you roll like a marble on the bottom, and then like there's a lot of like speaking and you know snare drummy things in between and i use some sort of system to come up with the different rhythms and everything this is very oh. very sad <laughs> poem that i wrote about a guy that i liked who didn't like me back uh. Uh, so oh <laughs> what they now say cringe it's well i don't know if the music is cringe but the text is cringe <laughs> <laughs> one of the more reason i should probably actually like do it you know record it maybe yeah yeah no, now you have to <laughs> You know, I don't even have a title for it, but I'm going to write that down. You know what? I actually do this. I actually record it. Because why not? It's probably. Why? Long. 
Yeah. Okay. That's funny. All right. <laughs> On the list of stuff to do. <laughs> yeah. In order to get, I, I, cause I, I've, I don't totally know what's frequently required for, for, to a position like that in terms of audition. So what, what kinds of things are you sending in to, to hopefully get interviews? What's part of the interview process to get a job that's more focused on uh, theory as its and composition as its main thing? So typical CV and depending on the position, cause they're all a little different, yeah. you know, um, I, I was not looking for like typical like theory comp jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad I'm doing ear training because as far as like, you know, typical common practice music theory goes, like it's actually not my strongest point at all. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I, I almost have like, you know, past trauma with music theory because I sucked so bad at it when I was younger and just have gotten better over time by having to teach it when I was doing my doctorate and everything. Yeah. So I, I did get better with those things, but it's always been sort of a brick wall with me. But um, the the hearing side of it, Mm-hmm. You know, being able to pick, the, I mean, that's always been pretty easy. Um, but anyway, the point is, there are all different kinds of requirements, but let's just talk about this for this particular job. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to, so there was a CV, and on some of those CVs, as a composer, you're going to want to have like a whole works list performance history thing. Yeah. So I do have like a complete catalog, and in fact, I need to update that. Um, but so that's like a crap load of pages. And then, um, but I do have my performing stuff on there too, but not a lot about the performing stuff. So yep. like what, what I played in and, and for how long and things like that. Um, if it was a percussion slash composition style job, I would do a lot more on the percussion side. But anyway, CV and also the typical like uh, cover letter of some kind, maybe teaching uh, teaching um, statement, yep. diversity, you mm-hmm. know, statement. And then um, with this job, I don't, I mean, it's not composition based. Okay. But I don't even think that they asked for like a paper. They may have asked for a paper, at which point I would have uploaded my dissertation. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was part of the thing. The, the big thing was the interview. So like I sent in all my stuff and I got an email a few days later asking if I would like to interview, which is very exciting mm-hmm. because I applied for 18 schools and this is the one of two places that that um, replied back and said, we'd like to interview you or would like to take it to the next step. Yeah. And I think that's pretty typical for people who apply. Um, and I'm sure the numbers are a lot more, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I'm really rambling on, but the, let's see. So then the interview for that phase, what they wanted was a teaching demo video mm-hmm. and something else. And I can't remember. But the thing was, is I was so excited because here I just finished at Miami and I thought, oh, I can just go to Miami and get one of my Zoom videos from the tons of, you know, classes that I taught on Zoom while I was at Miami. Well, I signed in and all of it was gone. Yeah. Like I must have just passed that deadline where they erase stuff. Yeah. And so I just emailed the person. I said, hey, um, listen, I thought I would have this. I don't. But I do have a demo video of me teaching composition lessons. So what they wanted was a video of me teaching class, like a theory class. Mm -hmm. I didn't. But I said, how about this? What if I send this in? Or I could do a teaching demo, like, in the interview. Yeah. And he said, okay, go ahead. Why don't you just sign, or why don't you just send in the composition video? Mm -hmm. And so I did that. So they they looked at that before before we did the interview. And then the interview was, I think, you know, that was the main thing, I think, that they were looking for. Um, 
you know, basic requirements and then, okay, here, let's, let's talk to these people now. So, um, yeah, if it were a composition job, that would be, they want like generally, although sometimes they don't want a portfolio right away. Sometimes they don't want to see your pieces. Sometimes yeah. they do, or they might save that for like a second round, things like that. So, and then yeah, teaching videos. So what I need to do is another thing that I keep forgetting. Nobody tells you that you need teaching demos. I know. The platform apps, nobody tells you that. Or if they do, it's like, oh, I forgot. I need to do a teaching demo video too. So for the future, this is a visiting position. Yeah. Um, so uh, one to three years, but I, I do know I'm going to be able to stay on for a second year, which is great. Awesome. Yeah, and I really think I'm, I'm probably going to do that. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. But I need one for the future. <laughs> well, that's and that's. Well, let's talk about that for a sec because I think that's often a. And it's very dependent school to school in mm. terms of what a visiting line means, because sometimes it's they like I think what it sounds like is they they'll renew it for you can get renewed like each year, except at this point, there's a point where they have to either I am assume like they have to turn it into a more permanent position or they have to just start over. Right. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And this this is. um uh, sort of in, in ter- I guess I would say I'm part of the shuffling deck of cards where they're going to make this into a permanent position. But I think I think it, the permanent position will be like the, uh, like theory and um, and ear training. Uh, yeah, that's the position they're looking for. So yeah, I'm I'm the uh, filling as it were. You know, that's kind of not to put it down, but but I'm here until they can do that search. Right. Yeah. Um. No, that's that's great. Uh, do you like living in Michigan? It's a lot like living in Wisconsin, to be honest. Oh, um, yeah. That's where I grew up and everything, and that's where I generally go. All of my family either lives in Wisconsin or Minnesota, except for my younger brother who lives in Portland, Oregon. It's, it's, the, it's the upper Midwest. People are nice. They're good, hearty, you know. And at GVSU, almost everybody is um, southwest Michigan. It's very, like, localized. Oh, okay. But Michigan itself, before it got cold and gray and sad like it is now, Mm -hmm. uh, skeletons of trees and sadness. I have a window in my office, which is amazing. It looks into a courtyard, but it's like, anyway, um, the uh, (laughs) cold. I came from Florida, right? Miami. Yes. Sun and gorgeousness every day, boiling hot. Yeah, you asked me a question, though. What was that question? Oh, do I like living in Michigan? Sure. I mean, but it's beautiful when the weather is nice. Yeah, really and I only have known Lake Michigan from the Wisconsin side, which mm. is like—I mean, it's like an ocean, you know. That's yeah, yeah. when it when you stand there, it's like being in the ocean. Yeah, you can't see anything. In, right, and the waves are insane, and and the, but the air smells different. And anyway, so the Wisconsin side is pretty rocky, but over on the Michigan side, it's beach and dunes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I I went. My friend came to visit, and we did some like naturey things. And there's a park like this, forty minutes away, and you it literally has like this. You go down a little bit through a forest, and then there's this gazebo. You go down the stairs, like which is going through the dunes, and then it's just a beach. Yeah, I mean, it, it's gorgeous. I felt like I was at the ocean in Miami, you know, but but oh my gosh, you know, it was just. I was like, this is a gorgeous day. I can't wait to see all the different nature, you know. That's yeah. nice. So when it gets nice out again, I'll be doing that more. But yeah, I, I like living here. Yeah, mm-hmm. Allendale is where I live, which is about thirty minutes west of Grand Rapids. Grand Rapids is like the big city. Mm-hmm. So Allendale is basically, 
uh, housing and some cornfields. <laughs> and GVSU. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's weirdly not rural, but rural at the same time. There's not like stuff to do. Sure. You have to go to well, the for that. What's the size of the school and what's the size of the music department? Oh, the school? I can't remember. Mm, might be like 10,000. The music okay. school itself, I also don't know the exact numbers, but it's it's music, theater, and dance. Mm-hmm. It's like the, you know, the the program. So I don't know, including theater and dance, but I'm guessing, you know, we can cut this out if I can look at numbers online or something, but I'm guessing the music school, because it's the music part, which is undergraduate only. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing it's like maybe 150, 200. Okay. It's, sure. it's not tiny, right? But it's not, you know, it's not big. Yeah, but I, that's a good size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Plenty of students. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Plenty of students to teach you. Yeah. yeah, they all need the theory. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about um, the diversity alliance because yeah. uh, I know not only. Were you uh, moderating panel at this past year's PASIC, but you also have been a member of that, I think, for for a bit. So tell me a little bit about your own decision to be part of that part of PAS and then also a little bit more about the panel you just moderated. It was I think it was PASIC 2016. I'm pretty sure that was. A, so I was there at the very, very first meeting. Mm. What was the Diversity Alliance? It was just an idea. And there were maybe like 50 people in the room, like big conference room somewhere in Indianapolis. Yeah. And very exciting. I mean, there was all kinds of people there and just coming up with ideas and visions and like, oh, maybe maybe we could have this, maybe we could have that. So I've, I've been a part of it since the very beginning. And um, after being in that first meeting, things were loose for a loose, you know, for a while, meaning fit, people on top were doing things. And I don't know how long Elizabeth De La Mater has been the president of the diversity Alliance, but just about the whole time. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. For a while, maybe since the beginning as well, but um, for ever since she came in and then um, Joshua Simons is on board, you know, it um, really started to get like, Oh, here's subcommittees. And, and, you know, and I, I ended up joining the um, what's now called the professional opportunities subcommittee. But before that, we kind of merged with what was professional opportunities. And what I was originally on was, a, I think, leadership. Mm-hmm. So, so they kind of merged um, fairly recently. And with the leadership committee, we were doing various things like putting together videos. And I wrote the music for potential videos that I don't know if they happened or not, but I did write the music for them. Providing like a list on the PAS site of different scholarships and internships and things like that. And um, I feel like there's one really big, pre- Oh, putting together um, like a um, helping put together best practices. Oh, sure. Committees. And I think maybe for panels, but I think it was just for committees, best practices for committees. Um, so we really contributed to that document a lot. So it's been, it's been cool. And, and um, I got to meet a whole bunch of new people that I didn't know before percussionists, you know, which is really great. And a lot of wonderful people. And I'm not super, super familiar with what all of the other subcommittees are doing. But um, I did start working the, there's been a diversity alliance booth at, in, the, um, in the hall for a while. So yeah. I, I've been working that sometimes. I think it's what the diversity alliance is doing 
is wonderful because boy, PASIC to me anyway, maybe just because I'm like doing this, but PASIC is seems like to me that it's really starting to bring in more and different kinds of people, not shutting out anybody, but actually like, oh, hey, there's, there's different things. There's more and different things going on and being, and it does honestly to me feels a lot less like a, a, a boys club, you know, I used, to, I used to tell this joke and it's still kind of true, but where can you never find uh, a line for the ladies' bathroom? Basic. <laughs> and, and a rush <laughs> never, concert. What's that? And a rush concert. Oh, sure. A rush concert. I totally go to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you'd, then you'd have no line. You'd be fine. And then the guys yeah. are waiting. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah. So I just wanted to be a part of something that was going to be uh, new and different and encourage, encourage more people to come to Basic, which is great. So the panel, yeah, the panel was very ended up being very cool, very very cool. Elizabeth De La Mater called me, I don't know, maybe like a, last October or something like that, and she was like, "Oh, do you have?" And she told me about the idea, her idea for the panel, and she said, "Do you have?" I'm just looking like for ideas for people to ask to be on it for um, neurodivergent percussionists, and I was like, "Oh wow, I can't wait for that." I was really so excited, just the very idea, like this is a panel I want to go to, you know. And then she was like, oh, we need somebody to moderate it. And I was like, oh, I'll moderate it, you know. And she said, okay. So, uh, yeah. So I decided to do that. And then I don't know how the people who actually were on the panel got to be on the panel. But there they were. So, you know, Reina Herrera and Sean Neely and Scott Farkas and Kalani Das, which is a great group. Yeah. So my job as a moderator was kind of – um, I called every single person and we talked and like, Hey, what do you, what do you want to talk about? You know? So Sean was like, well, his, his thing is, is autism. So that's what Sean was going to talk about. And Raina was kind of like a oh, creative practice and Kalani Kalani has got very interesting, but like he, he has dyslexia. So he's talking about that, but also like building a career for yourself. Who am I missing? Oh, Scott. And Scott's got, you know, Scott's got ADHD. Scott's the person that I am most identify with Scott and Kalani because <laughs> I too, <laughs> I too have uh, ADD. So, um, which I think ADD is a one is, I'm sure so many more percussionists have ADD than maybe other instrumentalists. Don't you think? I think that's possible. Yeah. I think that's quite possible, you know, cause it's a thing. Oh, triangle, you know, oh, right. I get to move and do stuff, you know, and, and yeah. Oh, look, I can focus cause I have to like read music. Yeah. I'm re- I'm rewarded for playing 8,700 instruments. This is great. Oh, totally. I mean, it's what, it was the only thing that I could do when I was younger. I was like, oh, I'm good at something. So I wasn't good at tennis or soccer or, or math or debate or any of that stuff. I was like, oh, I can play. <laughs> <laughs> I can awesome. do that, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that was a really cool panel. And um, it turned out pretty last minute that Kalani – well, we knew early ish on that Kalani wasn't going to be able to be there. But, but Scott, it was like very last minute. So we said, hey, make a video. Yeah. So that was great. I thought that it worked out really well. I don't know. What did you think? Do you think it worked out okay to have the videos? I I think it was as – it went as well as that could have gone. Um, obviously, you would much rather have had him in the room. Yeah. Um, if only because you could have – they could have like said they, – they would have, I think, moderated how long they would have talked on the videos – Mm-hmm. That, was, that was one thing I think if in the they would be like okay you know like you could do the thing where you're like I'll cut that story because I'm going on a bit and mm-hmm. that was it. so it, it just took what I what I what I kind of I, I was noticing is that I think the opening 
salvo just took a while to kind of get everyone's story out there to then, you know, move on. Yeah, I would say that half of the thing was people, the, the panelists talking, which I think was good because there was a lot of information and when they were introducing themselves, you know. Oh, yeah. That was just as important as a question period, a question answer period. Um, but yeah, I mean, we did the best we could because it's like, okay, Scott's not going to be here already. And that was like a week before. So in my own way, being a pretty neurodivergent person myself, I was like, well, isn't that the most neurodivergent thing is that two people can't show up? I mean, <laughs> it's perfect. I mean, it's not, I'm not picking on anybody, but that's totally makes sense. <laughs> you know, so, so I think it, yeah, I think we made it, you're right. We made it the best out of an interesting situation. Um, but the good news is that Sean and, and Raina and myself a little bit had, had a lot to say. Yeah. As I said earlier, I think the fact that it's, you have the, the <clears throat> you don't totally know where it's going. This is like the one panel where it, it, could, it could get very real. It go, it, it could go in any different direction. Yeah. And, and it's one of the few times I, I, I think I told, I've told Raina this, I've told other people who, who I've talked, I usually talk to somebody each year before PASIC who's on that panel. Cause I, uh-huh. I always say, um, it's also one of the times when it, it's not just we're all patting each other on the back and saying good job. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. As as every other presentation generally is. So yeah. I, I like that. There's it's just yeah, it's more real and and it's really captivating too. I think also. Yeah, yeah, and it's different. It's new. It's different. I mean, geez, I I think that this pan- panel. Neurodivergent percussionists, as it were. I think it's a panel that should happen every year, and you can have different people come in. You know, yeah. I mean, just and talking about different things. And I think there will be there would be um, some subjects that would come up again and again, like sure. people with different brains, or um, what it's like to to have a different brain and, and be doing a typical percussion or typical or atypical percussion route. Yeah. What I find interesting as a person who like many others, is that a very circuitous route in music. You know, I've been kind of all over the place and done all kinds of different things. That that's another subject that's interesting. You don't have to be neurodivergent to have that in your life, but I like to hear about people's, like, paths, you know? Because I think there's still this idea that, like, you go to college forever and then you get a job and then you... Whatever. And, like, that's a path that works for some people. Yeah. It really does. But for a lot of people, it's kind of all over the place. Like Kalani, when he was talking about his stories, like he's been, he's wow. I mean, <laughs> Kalani, <clears throat> he's done everything. I mean, he played for Yanni. He's, he's got, he's an Orf Schulberg person, yeah. music therapist, an awesome percussionist. I mean, he's just like so impressive actually. And this is maybe something that people don't know. Speaking of Kalani. So he made two videos actually. Mm. We watched the first one in the demo, but the second one, um, there wasn't time. So in this next um, upcoming percussive notes, I, I actually um, transcribed the entire uh, panel. And, so, uh, and then um, it was edited, you know, but um, I transcribed, or no, actually Kalani provided me the text for his second video. So the the text for his second video is going to be in percussive notes. Awesome. Yeah, all typed out. So, um, and it's great. It's really good to 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 have both halves of his his presentation. So, so people will in fact be able to see, as it were, um, the second video, which is good. Yeah, 
I think I think the panel was helpful for people who were um, there and listening and you know for as a moderator like I, I my job was just basically like organizational you know sure yeah basically you you just you, you keep them all in pl- it's like the you're the soccer goalie you're you're just like kicking it back into play like you know yeah and like yeah. what are we gonna you know let's if, if people don't have questions and then we'll do this and if we do then we'll do this yeah, and, yeah but after that you don't know what questions people are gonna ask or or anything like that yeah yeah some interesting questions and trans it's funny because transcribing the um the panel was funny because also this is like just neurodivergent for something like somebody i realized like actually like listening to people's questions and then the answers that people gave was oh, like did not match? a little off from the question to be honest yeah. <laughs> still great but like yeah. yeah or like offer them like off and then off so like yeah, but I mean, it wasn't like I think answers were or questions were certainly answered, but there was like a lot of um, let's see, ancillary, auxiliary, you know, mm-hmm. information, which is great. Yeah, well, and I agree with you about this is a panel that you could like I, the neurodivergent one is the panel that I think you could just you could do you could yeah you could have new experiences each time. With different things that people ha- just have to deal with on a regular basis, and I and I'm agree- I I totally agree with you about how you definitely have folks who their path is just it's pretty straightforward. Um, you know, as you mentioned, it's like school, 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 job done, <laughs> and then there's one where it's like school, job, non percussion career, non band career, job, school. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. No personal tragedy school like you know it's like absolutely absolutely yeah yeah and i can just think of so many um different things that um play into i mean there's neurodivergency also but like there's a lot of things like that make a big difference for instance something that's always been uh dear to my heart is like um socioeconomic stuff and there actually is a, a subcommittee for that but i didn't have a lot of resources you know I mean, here I am, I'm 43 and this is my, and this, I'm, this is not a judgment statement at all, but this is my first full-time get a paycheck every other week. Um, Benny's, you know, and everything yeah. else. It's uh, a yeah. job. You know? I care. Yeah. And I'm normally I'm doing six, you know, six different, you know, multiple streams and all this different stuff. And when I was in school, it was like maybe two things. I just took out a crap load of student loans. Yeah. Um, so I could really focus um, because I am kind of nuts. You know, I, I, I can't like do 800 things at once. You know, I learned that eventually, like in order to manage my mental illness, I need to sleep, which is like, Oh, <laughs> once I learned how to sleep, uh, things got a lot less chaotic for me. Yeah, um, yeah. But like, you know, um, some people, they either with their families or whatever, or like where they live, they really are able to like go to summer stuff. Right. You know, and, and all that kind of thing. And like, and or for a drum or for drum corps. Oh, for a drum corps, have a fourth lessons, um, be able to like have their own instrument or not, you know, things right. are put on. And so I was always pretty economically disadvantaged, but also because I chose to do music, which is like already, you know, so it was a combination. Like I made a lot of life choices that were in the arts. So yeah, I'm not going to make a lot of money, at least not for a long time. So that was my choice. But also, like, starting out, I had some wonderful people, like, wonderful teacher, my band director in high school. He gave me free lessons before school my senior year so I could apply, so I could audition for percussion, you know? I mean, like, amazing people like that. 
But yeah, I never went to a single sun, uh, summer thing, you know, any sort of festival, anything until I was 35. And that was for composing. And so that not disadvantaged, I shouldn't use that word, but different like money, how much money you have, how much money is available, you know, generational wealth or whatever our people, you know, that has a big impact on your ability to, to do the things that you want to do in life, you know, and with percussion too, that's definitely the case. I think sometimes, sometimes people's, people's um, certain performers or whatever success does, of course, there's a lot of talent and hard work, but there's certain like people who have really gotten famous, like, of course you got more money than other people. Right. <laughs> so like success, part of that is, you know, uh, money stuff. Yeah. And so uh, I, I'm not really making a judgment statement on that, but that is something that is a reality yeah. and worth addressing more. Right. Well, let's back up since you mentioned uh, a little bit about your own upbringing, but where did you grow up, Olivia? I grew up in Appleton, Wisconsin, home of Harry Houdini. And is in Lawrence University? In Lawrence, yeah. Yeah, yeah Lawrence is great. I went to like so many concerts there when I was like in junior high and high school. I went to like all the percussion ensemble concerts um, and some of the orchestra concerts. The first time I ever heard the Rite of Spring was there, you know, and all under a graduate orchestra and they were freaking awesome. Yeah, um, yeah Lawrence is awesome. It's a great yeah. school. And I went to Appleton West High School. And like I said, my band director, Mike Ross, he was a percussionist, is a percussionist. He played symphony with the Green Bay Symphony. And he's the one who started the uh, Lawrence Arts Academy Percussion Ensemble, which is like a citywide percussion ensemble. Yeah. So I joined that in like eighth grade. Yeah. And that, that, you know, was really kind of got what got me into music. But I didn't decide to like do it, do it till I was like a junior in high school or so. Um, so yeah. uh, did you have any family members in the arts? No, no. I'd say that my mom is very naturally musically talented and some of the cousins, you know, on my dad's side, like certainly like there's musicalness, wonderful yeah. singing, people who play different things. Um, but especially singing, I would say my older brother plays the drums. My younger brother plays the um, saxophone, but uh, they're no, I mean, and no, nobody went to, nobody's went to college. One of my, oh, my uncle, he went to college for trombone. Um, but in my immediate family, like I'm a first generation college student. Um, so yeah, there's no like music, music people. Gotcha. So when does percussion come into your life? Well, yeah, I mean, you're sixth grade. I know. I remember, you know, that, that when you're, when you're then you're, you're checking out like different instruments in fifth or sixth grade. Right. And I really wanted to play the saxophone for whatever reason, a 12 year old wants, I don't know, or 11 year old. I, uh-huh. I had braces. And and yeah. whoever that guy was was like, oh, okay, why don't you do? And my older brother played percussion, so I was like, okay, I'll do percussion. And then that guy was like, ah, sure. So it was pretty. <laughs> but it was because I had braces, I decided to do percussion instead of saxophone. <laughs> oh, that's clutch. <laughs> yeah, clutch yeah, and it's fun. You know, I've always yeah. had an easy time with rhythm. You know, I couldn't read the bells to save my life. It, that was always a struggle, but. Um, you know, when my, only when my other older brother wasn't home did I get to play drums. Yeah. Would not let me play on his drum set because older brother. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, in eighth grade, I joined the, the Lawrence Arts Academy of Percussion Ensemble. So, and that's, that was really cool. And then, um, you know, various things, uh, typical 13 year old girl stuff. Like there was a, there was a boy who was in the percussion class too. Ryan Weezy. He's on here. He's cool. He knows. He knows. 
He knows the reason I stayed in percussion in seventh and eighth grade is because he and I were always um, buying for first chair. Oh, yeah. Hugest crush on him. So I stayed, I, that's why I stayed in music is because of Ryan. After that, I had other motives, but. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> yeah, I told him, you know, when I saw him a couple of years ago, I said, you know, you're the reason why I'm still doing this stuff. And he laughed. Um, but yeah, I went to, I was able, hey, no, no, that I lied. I uh, accidentally lied about summer thing. Okay. Um, the summer before my junior junior year and the summer before my senior year, I, w- I went to the uh, Nishmi. It's called Nishmi National High School Music Institute. Okay, and that's it. And that's held at Northwest Northwestern University, uh, and that was awesome. It's like five weeks, and it's like band. You do percussion ensemble, and once again, my band director told me about it. And basically, they had scholarships, but I had to get my math grades up. Oh. My math grades were so bad, my parents made me quit the jazz band so I could do better. And I probably didn't do better, but I got to go anyway. I was able to get a scholarship. Basically said, like, you need to get your grades up. And I wasn't a bad student. I just was horrible at certain things like math and science, you know. And I was fine. Every- <laughs> so mm-hmm. so I was able to get scholarships most of those summers, so that's how I was able to go. And that was life-changing. I can't believe I didn't think about that. But, yeah, those two things in high school, those were life-changing because that's kind of when I decided, oh, my God, I want to do music. and the like percussion faculty who was there was, was Mike Burrett. He was there back in the day. So he's the one who taught me four mallets actually. Yeah. So I learned, I learned my very first like four mallets with Mike Burrett. And so that was really cool. And I, I learned well, I mean, he gave me the really solid foundation and I probably only had like seven, you know, five lessons with him, but he gave me a really good, you know, solid foundation. So, and then I never saw him again, but he did, uh, he did me a nice service. Um, and then, uh, let's see. Yeah, so I auditioned for college, you know, I auditioned yeah. at four schools, <laughs> and uh, my family really wanted me to go to Lawrence, so I got a full ride there, but I was like, I gotta get the hell out of Wisconsin, like, I could not stay in town, I just could not. Yeah. Yeah, so I ended up going to CCM, which was wonder- wonderful, absolutely wonderful. That yeah. was about an hour drive from Wisconsin, but that was, that was, it was nuts, but it was wonderful. Okay, so you did the you did the camp, and yeah. part of the the high school youth ensemble. Yeah, um, ensemble, yeah. yeah. When were you? But and but you you also said beforehand you were your band director taught you lessons. Yeah, just to kind of was just to kind of get you to college, basically. Yeah, yeah. He helped me um, prepare for my audition. What was he a, a percussionist as well? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he played symphony with the timpani with the Green Bay Symphony and and um and all kinds of stuff. I'm sure he freelanced too. And I think he was adjunct at, at like a a small. I think he was the, I think he was adjunct band director at like Ripon College, home of Ripon Good Cookies. I think maybe he was adjunct percussion at um some some very tiny college somewhere. He played all over, but that was wonderful. I mean, seven thirty in the morning or whatever it was for a, several months. We would do lessons on my audition material. You know, he helped me find the audition material. I mean, it was incredible, you know. At that time, what else was part of the music experience? Were you like in marching band? Were you doing orchestra? Just like in terms of what, what the school was doing. Oh, like in high school? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so I played in the um, Fox Valley Youth Symphony, which was another like sort of area citywide group, which was a ball. I did that like sophomore, junior, senior year, I think. And then, so yeah, I had the citywide percussion ensemble, eventually the orchestra, 
one year, my senior year, I went and played in um, Allstate Honors, which was in Madison, which was a huge deal. I was a timpanist for the Honors Orchestra, which is like, woo! Yeah. Um, it was great. We played some cool music. And uh, what, what else? Oh, marching band was like totally not a thing. So we had marching band, but we literally just prepared for the homecoming show. So we played one show. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then we would do two parades. There was like a Christmas parade and then there was, so, which was the coldest because like it's around Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving is like yeah. really cold. In Wisconsin, yeah. In Wisconsin, yeah. So we would play the Christmas parade or whatever. And then we would play the Flag Day parade, which is in June, the middle of yeah. June, which is the hottest. So it was like either very hot or very cold. Yeah. So two parades and one homecoming show. That was marching band. The rest of it was concert band. And I didn't even know that marching band was a real thing until I got to Cincinnati. And I'm like, oh, Ohio has a lot of marching band. So I did some of that. And I do have a history of teaching some marching band, but it ended up being, I just, and that was all front ensemble stuff. I don't know anything about drumline. Um, but marching band is not my thing. Mm. I mean, at the time that I quit and decided I would never, I mean, I'd rather work almost anything than ever do marching band again. And it's not like a hate thing, but I just, I don't fit in that world. I don't, I don't belong there. And, at that time, the time that I decided to stop, it was very, you know, it was very dick energy kind of, you know, these dudes just, yeah, dudes, yeah. and I just, that's like, I'm asking you to play your pardels kind of thing, you know? Oh, it was, I mean, it was the band directors. They were some, a lot of them were kind of, yeah. yeah. And, and so, but then I had, then there were some other jobs where the band directors were really great, you know, but the, my last straw was this set of band directors who were just, ah. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to deal with these people. But I did it for a while. I'd say five, six years I was doing front ensemble for various high schools, teaching it. Yeah. Were you doing any non-music things? Were you doing any sports or student government or mathletes or church-related activities, anything like that? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I was raised like super Christian, Assemblies of God, churchy, churchy. Oh, wow. Assemblies of God. Crazy. Yeah. Oh, do you know AG? You know AOG? I I'm just only passing. I mean, it's one of the more evangelical, right? Yeah. I mean, in charismatic, yes, you know, in the spirit, nutbag stuff. Um, <laughs> talking was, in tongues? Yeah. I'm still like tongues, talking in tongues thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Speaking in tongues and all that. And although I never, I never did receive the gift of the Holy spirit, unfortunately, actually, I'm really glad that I didn't cause I would just sit there and like try to get it and never did. So <laughs> kind of funny. Actually, it's funny cause I just finished, um, I was commissioned to write a, a solo for toy piano and small percussion. Yeah. Patricia Don Williams. And uh, so I just finished it a few days ago and I decided to call it the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And uh, the reason for that was number one, like for a while I couldn't think of a title, but number two, I was like, Oh, interesting. So each little section is like a different one of the gifts. It's not real deep. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, so yeah, church. Thank you. Um, I played like at when I was in high school at church, I played percussion in the, um, like the praise band. Yeah. yeah. And then eventually I played drum set in uh, youth group. Oh, nice. Yeah. Like, yeah. And the last, like my junior and senior year. Yeah. I played drum, drum set for, um, the youth group band and yeah, I totally forgot about that. And that did was you, wonderful. That was did, wonderful. Was it, um, was it like the contemporary Christian yeah. Like W. Smith uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah, all that. And Jesus is a rainbow. Our Lord, our, our, is it our God is an awesome God. Like that stuff? Yeah, yeah, that one. I mean, all kind of. 
<laughs> you can be church any kind of hymns or any kind of like you know back in the day 90s yeah oh yeah all that stuff oh yeah i got those those are kind of lyrics like when you're a kid you hear a commercial it never leaves your brain like those just come right back um yeah so i play i, I got to do a lot of music you know music ministry as it were mm-hmm. and that was wonderful because i got to play and that's kind of where i learned to just like do stuff by ear really you know because like you get a, if you're lucky you get a chart that has the words on it, like maybe like A minor and G and stuff like that. Like, yeah, yeah. so I'm like scribbling in my, you know, various notes and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Church. So, but anyway, in school, yeah, like I said, I tried out some various things and was not good at any of them. So I, I wanted to be in debate because a few of my best friends were in debate and I so did that. I just didn't have the, I just didn't, <laughs> I didn't, it was not good. And I did forensics for one year, which is where you like memorize a monologue and that was okay. Yeah. Um, but I was in sports, yeah. So I was, I was in. I played soccer all, oh, like third grade through junior year of high school. I played soccer, and I was almost always the goalie and the sweeper. And I think, oh. I mean, I enjoyed it. You know, yeah, I always liked team sports. I enjoyed it, um, but it wasn't like great. But but I did enjoy it. And then I played tennis, the first three years of high school as well. I played JV tennis and doubles. I was like double. Like I'm a good short runner. Like a good short like sprint. Yeah, yeah. In the summer before my senior year, right, I went to Nishmi. Yeah. And shortly after that, like in between the end of Nishmi and starting my senior year, um, I had to have uh, basically emergency surgery on my spine because I had, um, I've got a degenerative disc disease. And so my lower back, like scoliosis type stuff, yeah. which is genetically, um, mm. I'm prone to just getting herniated discs just from like nothing. So I had two surgeries in my life for herniated discs in my lower back, but the first one was right before I turned 18. Um, wow. So I didn't get to start my senior year um, uh, until like a month in, but also um, I had to stop doing sports. So that was that, that was the end of that. And so, uh, but that did allow me to focus a lot more on music stuff. So that's what I did my senior years. I just prepared for my auditions and did all the cool music stuff. And for the longest time, I've always wanted to join some kind of rec league, and I decided to join the because, um, like, faculty can join the the intramural stuff here at GVSU. Oh, sweet! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I want to maybe do for the spring because they have like badminton that I just found out, which is great. Ooh. But um, I just didn't. I I couldn't get my act together for. I like, signed up for soccer, and I went to one thing, and like I was so like, I thought there may be some other faculty, uh-huh. and, like young in shape people and like fat. 43 year old out of shape me I just was it was they were nice to me the, the students were nice to me but dear god I can't do this I felt, I felt like a shame I was like I suck so bad and I'm so out of shape so out of shape so yeah. so, so um but I am working to be um more exercising and, and eating better so I think I'll be able to do team sports again one day nice. but I need to do something like badminton or tennis where I'm not ever getting knocked over or like getting hit in the face with soccer balls and stuff. I, I got hit in the face a lot with soccer balls when I was a goalie. Sure, <laughs> yeah. A little cuckoo later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So I did some of that stuff. That's awesome. When I, when I played soccer, I think my, my favorite position was sweeper. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's like, position, yeah. It, Cause you're just like, you're the clean, you're the one who cleans it. If, if everyone else blows it, which they're gonna, then you're the one left. Who's got to fix everything. It's great. That's right. Yeah, and you get and you're very it's very like you're always on the lookout, you know. Right. You kind of thing. And you get to kick the ball far and stuff like that. And you get yes. to and, yeah. 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 I love that position. That was good. It's a little less dangerous than the goalie. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, he's a stressful position. Fine, but stressful, you know? <laughs> well, depending on how the, if your team is good, you, you, you like, you, you might not get much action or if your team's bad, you are like, you, you have like 600 saves because they, they, no one can keep the ball out of your place. <laughs> yes, you're totally right. And I don't have any memory of whether any time we were good or bad. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Even when I was like ten ball. or twelve, or whatever. Yeah. another ball hit you in the face. Is that why? Another ball hit me in the face. That was before they had sports glasses. Oh right. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I brought up breaking a lot of glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, soccer is great. I mean, it's fun. And then a couple of summers, I would I would do a ref. I'd be a ref. Yeah. And actually, I think I was a ref like after I had my back surgery. But that is more like you're just running in a line. Right. You know, so I was able to do that eventually. Yeah. Uh, and you get cash, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's I like great. to be a live person. I didn't like doing the little kids games. Or I, had, I never liked to be in the center ref. I just right. that was too stressful for me. But I love doing the flag. So you're just watching and you know, you're doing running short distances and, and making sure, you know, I like, I always like doing that. Well, I'm really excited about this. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should be a soccer ref again. Yeah, you get to call <laughs> off sides. What's that? You get to call off sides. Off sides. Totally. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And then parents can yell at you and stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. When you get to Cincinnati, is that, a like a I know you had already had these other great experiences and percussion um in Wisconsin and Illinois, but was that just like a completely different world to be at a conservatory and to be, you know, in that particular place? Yeah. Oh my God. But I mean the number one well, it's college, you know. Sure. <laughs> so there's that. And very rigorous. Yeah. CCM is very like I don't know what it's like now, but I'm sure I mean it was extremely intense. Um, so, but the, like percussion ensemble, the music was totally different. Yeah. And I was used to like tonally marimba stuff, you know, and then right. we were doing like, um, the very first percussion ensemble concert. I, we did ionization and like this piece that I forget what it's called, but like, and everything was unconducted. It was all like reading off of scores and parts, but like, um, this one piece where like uh, Jim Colley, he, he, he like raise he's, he was like the conductor as it were, but he was doing like a clock. So he would like stand up and put his arm on, like be the clock. Yes, yeah. I forget what it's called. Uh-huh. But actually, he is retiring, Jim Coley. Oh. And we're putting we meaning like some former CCM people. We're actually that piece, whatever the hell that piece is. Um, a bunch of us are going to go play at this. It's going to be on his last concert. So we're a bunch of us alumni are going to go play on the concert. Yeah play on that piece which is really cool and then it was like um uh lou harrison like the there were four of us freshman percussionists so we did lou harrison canical number one so that was my first like chamber percussion ensemble piece was lou harrison canical number one which is a really cool piece and so there was none of that tonally foot any of it and at yeah. first it was like ew i don't like this but then i kind of did because like but also when i was in high school i got a cd Somebody gave me like a, a like a Quator Helios CD of like John Cage works. Yeah. And so I did like, I did like that. Like I love the tin cans and all that stuff, but I had never played music like that. And like, I, I found Steve Reich when I was in eighth grade, like I found his music. And so I like that repetitive, you know, all of that, but I didn't know anything about the music. I certainly had never played it. Yeah. So it was weird at first, but it, you know, and then like you, you go to, you go to your first band rehearsal in college and it, everything's at tempo, you know, like, yeah. oh, 
you know, so it was like, okay, right now, here we go. Or like, um, oh yeah. And then there was steel band. Yeah. Drum band. I'd never done any that at all. I don't know why I was tortured in this way, but I was given a lead pan part mm-hmm. for the bumblebee. Oh, I, wow. I know. What is he doing? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And my brain is like keyboard oriented. And then all of a sudden everything's in fifths. And yeah. oh, oh, my God. That was uh, that was something else. So, yes. Yeah, I mean, that was new. And um, yeah, just everything. You know, music theory was new. I remember it was like Monday was like big class with everybody. And the rest of it was like alternating music theory and ear training, I think, every other day or something like that. Yeah. And I remember the first day of big, you know, big class with all the freshmen and the, the, the teacher, he starts talking about voice leading. And I said, oh, is this choir? What are we doing? I never heard of such a thing. Yeah. I never heard of voice leading. I mean, I remember somebody, I remember we learned about the circle of fifths, like in high school, but it didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. You know, so when I got into theory, I was like, oh my God, I have no idea what's going on. Um, which I think it's probably a common experience for some people. But actually at that level, people going to CCM, people do, did know about music theory. And so, the, you know, I was in the like special class, you know, with the jazz people and the, the drummers and some like other, and singers. <laughs> it was singers, drummers, and a couple of jazz people. And we were in the special class, you know, <laughs> a little slower class, which is great. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do you know Alexandros Fragiscatos? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause I, he's a, he, well, he's at Denison now, but he was teaching in Missouri. Um, was a good friend and lived in town, uh, mm-hmm. before he got that job. So I, so it's like when you're talking about Jim Cully and mm-hmm. see, like, oh, I wonder if their paths have crossed. So I guess they have. Yeah, I mean, usually it's it's interesting because at PASIC, there's usually some sort of CCM hang people. Mm. And so Alex, is, you know, he's been at a, a number of them, and he's good friends with my um, other percussion friend, a former CCM person as well, Austin Murphy. And so I just knew, I know Alex through those CCM channels, you know, yeah, yeah. at a different time than me. He's teaching music theory. And, yes, yes. And yeah. oh. uh, aside from doing... You know, the kind of experiencing some of these new avenues of percussion music, as you're as you're describing, uh, were you seeing kind of the the um, the trio uh, kind of at full, like doing all that stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was probably like part of their prime, you know, yeah. um, 99 to 2003. Well, 2004 technically, but I was done with my music part in 2003. Yeah, that was like part of their, like, I'm sure glory period of playing. Um, yeah, so they would, I never saw them play outside of school, like outside of concerts on campus, but um, I saw a bunch of their, them play um, many concerts, at least probably two a year. Um, incredible. I mean, out of this world, you know, they're, they're, they're like the Emerson string course out of percussion, you know, right? like just unbelievable. I mean, what a, what a magical experience to get to see them so often. When you're a student there, are they bringing you into their process of, of putting the, all that stuff together or is, or is it more of just like you would admire them because you'd see them in concert, but they were kind of doing their thing. I think in, in percussion ensemble, a lot of their core values, we also did. 
Yeah. You know, so for instance, we're like no conductor, so it's all reading off of scores and really learning how to play chamber music. You know, same as a, a string quartet, what or anything else. And that was a huge, huge um, skill and value that I learned. Um, that that was part of what they did. Outside of that, I'm sure there's some deeper level things, but we we were not allowed into. So like, there's this big there's this big studio where the group would rehearse, like a big room, yeah. and have all, all their own instruments, and that's where they would rehearse and everything. So we were like not allowed in there. <laughs> and they would have specific times where they would rehearse during the day. So nobody was giving any lessons or anything. Yeah. Um, so that was like sort of their spot. So we were not allowed to, you know, be there for the rehearsals or anything like that. Um, but yeah, or like another, another sort of value was um, nobody now like Rusty Burge is sponsored by Vic Firth or something like that. But there was, they're totally against any form of sponsorship. So all the instruments and like the music stands and stuff were like from the seventies. So like if you have like a normal cymbal stand, it would be like a gooseneck from the seventies where you had to like, like a tripod bottom, you know, with a pole and then you had to screw in the gooseneck. <clears throat> yeah. You had to have a brake drum on the bottom to hold it still. Like a like slide a brake drum. Like that's, those are the cymbal stands that we had. We had like old snare drum stands and, and just, so there was no like new fancy stuff because they refused to, to be a part of that. Um, Part of, they refused to be a part of the machine, you know. Yeah. That was yeah, that was pretty cool too. I always kind of had this oh well, you know. I didn't don't think I ever looked down on people who had sponsorships, but I just, you know, I don't know. That was something I kind of picked up on, I suppose. Um, well, you can kind of make a or see that they you can make a career without yeah those as a you know a major part of what you do. Certainly, say. yeah, certainly, absolutely. But then later when I was in the Chicks with Sticks percussion group, which I played with for 12 years, we had, we, respons- we, um, we were endorsed, sorry, endorsed through uh, Innovative. Yeah. So we got a nice dis- discount on Innovative Mallets, which is awesome. Um, so eventually I did <laughs> become a part of the machine, you know, which is great though. I really like their mallets. You know, it's like, it was really awesome. Yeah. They're so nice there with And we'll get to part two next week with Olivia Kiefer. So stay tuned. Just in time for Oscar season. This week's rave is the 2023 film American Fiction, starring Jeffrey Wright, Sterling K. Brown, both of whom were nominated in their respective acting categories for the Oscars, Tracy Ellis Ross, Erica Alexander, Leslie Uggams, Issa Rae, among many others, and written and directed by Cord Jefferson, who was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, and his film is up for Best Picture as well. Now it's showing in theaters and on demand. This is Cord Jefferson's first feature film he's written and directed. He's been involved in writing for many, many series and other TV shows over the years. But this is the first time he's helmed a major film, and it's quite a good start. The movie functions both as a satire of the book writing and publishing world, and as a really good family drama. Jeffrey Wright stars as Thelonious Monk Ellison, an academic and author who suddenly has to come up with money to deal with a family issue. He's been published author for a long time, but has never made any real money from that side of his career, and bemoans the fact that his American novels, highbrow, don't sell all that well, and that the only writing that seems to be doing well at this point has to be, quote-unquote, authentically black, whatever that means. 
So said authentic book is a hot commodity whose author is played by Issa Rae. So Monk decides to write a book like that under a pseudonym, and the movie propels from there. While all of that is going on, Monk is dealing with the deteriorating health of his mother, played by Leslie Uggams, who's being looked after by Monk's sister, played by Tracy Ellis Ross, and is hoping to get some help from Monk's brother, played by Sterling K. Brown. Erica Alexander is here in the role as Monk's love interest and neighbor. There's a lot to recommend about this film. One, it is quite funny. Sterling K. Brown and Tracy Ellis Ross both have great parts, and in particular Brown, who really lives his best life in this movie. Additional levity is put into place with the film's commentary about the book publishing industry. Two, the film is really touching. The elements that involve the family and their relatives, particularly the scenes with Leslie Uggams, are very detailed and poignant and really provide a strong factor of reality to the movie. Three, the pace. The movie moves and grows at an accelerated rate and builds up to a fascinating conclusion. And four, Cord Jefferson's casting. By themselves, Wright, Ross, and Brown are all excellent performers, but having them all together was a tremendous experience. But it was his work with people like Erica Alexander, an actress who's been around for a long time and in a seemingly forgettable part, does great work. Along with the roles played by Myra, Lucretia Taylor, and Raymond Anthony Thomas, who are caregivers, role models, and all-around good people in the film. It's great work all around for the first-time feature film writer and director, Cord Jefferson, and well worth your time. So check out American Fiction, particularly before the Oscars arrive on March 10th. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud and Spotify and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete'sPerkPod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time for part two with Olivia Kiefer. Until then.